Welcome to Season 6 of American Political History, The Institution of Slavery. The slave trade expands. Brazil was cited by Pedro Alvarez of Portugal in 1500, but it was not until France had started to organize possible expeditions to Brazil that Portugal began the systemic colonization of the Brazilian coast. They quickly developed sugar plantations in the New World. The Portuguese had years of experience at that point in sugar plantations from their islands off the coast of Africa. Brazil would be the destination of most African slaves in 1550s. Sugar would quickly become a profitable export from the New World, which allowed those plantations to create wealth to afford more African slaves. In the middle and late 16th century, Dutch merchants began to dominate the Atlantic sailing routes. But it wasn't the Dutch sailing ability, it was their organization for commercial capital. They could float the money, and that gave them the sole advantage for decades. Eventually, the friction between the two initial Atlantic powers would lead to war. In 1630 to 1654, the Dutch captured Brazil and the African coastal fort at Elmina. If the Dutch wanted a profitable Brazil, it was a requirement that they had their own access to African slaves in Africa. The Dutch also sold their newly acquired knowledge of plantation farming to the French and British, in hopes that they would establish their own plantations in the Caribbean, giving both the Catholic powers even more competition in the New World. The English successfully settled St. Christopher in 1624, Barbados in 1627, Antigua in 1632, and Jamaica in 1655. And prior to 1640, the British Caribbean primarily grew tobacco and utilized indentured labor. Barbados was England's first successful sugar plantation, which initially attracted large numbers of indentured servants. But the island developed a bad reputation for cruel conditions, and so they struggled to maintain the necessary labor for sugar cultivation, and this helped push the English plantation owners to start purchasing slaves from their Dutch merchant friends. Following the knowledge shared by the Dutch, the English colonies shifted to large-scale, slave-based sugar plantations, which pushed out any remaining small farmers from the Caribbean islands. Most slaves imported to the English colonies during the 17th century were supplied by the Dutch. After the Anglo-Dutch Wars, the Royal African Company, which had been reorganized by James, the Duke of York, dominated the English slave trade. The earliest record of African slaves in North America was in 1526 when Spain sent an expedition to establish a colony near Cape Fear, North Carolina. Obviously, that colony failed. The oldest record in an English colony was the sale of a slave into Virginia by Dutch traders in 1619. Although those records are a simple ship manifest, and there is no other writers that reference this 1619 as a particularly special exchange of slaves into the new English colonies. In 1625, the Dutch shipped a large contingent of slaves to work on buildings and the initial construction in the New Netherlands colony. Many of these slaves would live out their lives in New Amsterdam. Regardless of the debate of the first American slave brought to North America, none of the above records show any discussion into those being a first, which leads me to think slavery was so interwoven into the societies of the age no one living at the time considered a slave moving about from place to base any sort of first. The only thing that is particularly signified was that the American colonies were obtaining enough wealth 
to actually be able to purchase slaves in large numbers. As the American colonies continued to struggle to obtain indentured labor for their farms, they dabbled at the elite end of society with African slaves. 90% of the office holders in Virginia and Maryland owned a slave, while only 7% of the farms in those colonies owned any slaves at all. Elites in Maryland started purchasing slaves in 1642. The colony purchased 300 by 1650, 758 by 1660, and 1200 by 1670. Virginia similarly had 2,000 slaves on record by 1670. As the political leaders dabbled into purchasing slaves, they started passing laws to enforce the maximum level of exploitation from these new slaves. In 1664, Maryland passed the first known law to codify slavery for a term of life in the American colony. All slaves in Maryland presently and to come in the future will serve for life. The bill that enacted lifelong slavery did that in a couple of pages. It spent the next two dozen pages deliberating on miscegenation, or translated into our language today, what to do about freeborn English women that forget their race and married African slaves. They decided that to prevent such shameful acts by English women, any English woman that chose to marry an African slave would themselves become slaves to their husband's master, but they would only maintain that status as long as their husband was living. Additionally, they decided that any children in this marriage would inherit the status as slaves for life. For children born to such marriages before the enactment of the legislation, they would be considered indentured servants to the master until they reached the age of 18, upon which they would be free men. But... By 1681, they came to realize that this legislation created incentives for slave masters to try to marry off their female English servants to black slaves, to make their female servants into their slaves. They also came to realize that their laws denied the master a profoundly profitable revenue stream, that is, the natural production of their female slaves, the production of children. They would shift the inheritance of slave status from the paternal to the maternal. This slight change would mean that every child born of a slave woman would be a slave. This meant that all mulattoes, the bastard children of Africans and English, would inherit slavery as a lifelong status. This is why there are mulattoes in the Caribbean islands and in Africa and in South America, but in the United States of America, Blackness of any kind was the visible mark or branding that, that person was a slave. This decision would creep into American life. Blackness, racial blackness, would become slavery. To be black was to be a slave. At the time, this was simply done to legally monopolize the procreative production of their African female slaves. Later, to uphold the status of black equaling slave, Virginia passed laws that demanded that blacks given manumission had to then immediately leave the colony. In 1690, the cost of African slaves fell to be similar to the cost of obtaining indentured servants from England. So the colony's plantations started investing in slaves to copy the successful business models of large-scale slave farming, which had worked so successfully in the Caribbean. Most of the slaves purchased came from the Caribbean plantations. It was more attractive to purchase slaves that had already been seasoned to the New World climate. These new African slaves 
were already experienced at growing food on plantations. They had experience in growing rice, and they even aided in the development of the Carolina colony's successful rice production, which also grew to prominence in the 1690s as they acquired slaves from the Caribbean. 1690 was truly the decade of no return. America would be a slave society from that point on, until something changed that paradigm. The volume of Africans involved in the trade has been subject to a lively debate for years. Recent estimates is that some 11.7 million people were sold in the Atlantic slave trade. Out of that 11.7, some 9.7 were sold to the New World. Around 300,000 slaves were imported from 1451 to 1600, 1.5 million between 1600 and 1700, and 5.7 million people between 1700 and 1800. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Political History. If you want to support the show, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating, and share the show with someone you think would enjoy listening. Thank you again, and until next time.